Hi, Fort Worth, and welcome to another episode of the Fort Worth Freedom Review. And I got, I'll, I'll keep reading. I'll keep reading. We are a show about local politics that aims to get more people engaged in local issues. It's election season, and we have an upcoming mayoral and city council election on May 1st with early voting starting soon. But in addition to that, we have a special congressional election for the Texas's 6th Congressional District to replace the late Ron White, who passed away from COVID earlier this year. My name is Anthony Sosa, and today with me, we have Christopher Rose and Thomas Moore here to talk about the local and special elections. What's up, guys? Hi. Not much. How are you? Swell. Doing swell, guys. Looking forward to, to doing this. So what Same. we're, we're going to do, I guess, is we're going to... We actually got some some write-ins. We, we sent questions out to all the candidates for mayor and city council. We only got three responses, but we're going to start Sorry. off. Yeah, that's just that's okay. That, 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 that gives us enough time to cover all the stuff that we need to cover this episode, really. And then um, we're going to get into the Democrats that are running for the special election. And, uh, and Thomas, actually, before we get into anything, is going to share with us how the Capitol, how Austin was, and what were you doing down there? And what happened? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, um, there's a lot going on at the Capitol. Uh, they are trying to pass a voter suppression bill, which did eventually pass. But also, um, there is a there are two bills: one called the Sandra Bland Act, and one called the George Floyd Act. They are trying to pass to uh, better hold police accountable and you know, make things more equitable for everybody. Um, and I went down there because uh, I was asked by a few people to speak in favor of the these things. Um, there were so many people there that I got, I got there the night before. I signed up probably at like 9 or 10. I ended up having to leave at 8. I spoke. I did speak. But, uh, I mean, that probably went late into the night. There's a lot of people there. Anyways, um, that same day, uh, the chairman who's supposed to be over the committee for the Voting Voter Suppression Act uh, messed up something procedurally and ended the session prematurely. So there's about 100 people there that did not get to speak, um, including Beto O'Rourke, who I did meet. I did fangirl over heavily. Like it, it was, it was bad. Like I, I, I forgot how to talk. It was, not, <laughs> yeah. Well, you looked composed um, in the picture that that you sent us. Yes, yes. It was. <laughs> I was very. I was a happy boy. Uh, um. So at the uh, at the actual committee, I went to speak on that didn't get canceled. Uh, you had mostly people speaking in favor of it, including George Floyd's first cousin and his brother. Who was there in person? Um, and then you had a few mayors speak. So you also had a few police lobbyists, mm-hmm. and it was it was kind of funny because they kept trying to, to talk about what my qualified community was and how it you know wasn't what we're saying it was. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to be like it's not that bad. They're you know people are still held accountable besides qualified immunity, which isn't the case. And the what looked really bad. Was that one of the people on the committee, one of the representatives, was a lawyer who fact-checked him in real time, and then you had like several other people who were lawyers who also fact-checked checked these uh, 
these lobbyists in real time. And then you had a few uh, people from like criminal justice lobbies who like advocate for justice and everything, like what a lobby is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, they fact checked him in real time. Um, for instance, they convened when, when the police spoke, they're talking about how like 45 to 50% of all, uh, all police disciplinary cases, uh, the police in, the police officer ends up getting convicted because qualified immunity does not apply. However, they conveniently left something out. Around, I think, 2008, Supreme Court had a ruling. And basically, uh, from my understanding, I'm surprised no one at the, at the session touched on this, but uh, the way qualified immunity works is um, unless there is a Supreme Court decision that has deemed whatever the specific incident is constitutional or unconstitutional, like unless there's something saying cops can't do this and it can't be like, okay, um, I was running and the cops arrested me. Mm-hmm. But the decision says, you know, cops can arrest you for jogging, right? You would actually, that cop would still be covered by qualified immunity because the decision didn't specifically mention running, it mentioned jogging. And basically the way it works is unless it has that specific wording for that decision, they automatically get qualified immunity. Um, and uh, since that's the case, there's not been no decisions saying, you know, something differentiates. So they're basically just, you know, free and clear. Yeah. Now, it's suppo- there's supposed to be a threshold of did this violate their constitutional rights or not? And, you know, that was going to be like the safeguard. The problem is in 2008, Supreme Court ruled they don't even have to do that um, to apply it. Basically, you know, uh, a judge or a court can uh, can authorize qualified immunity uh, without proving constitutionality. And if it's already proven, it doesn't matter. So cops very much have a get out of jail free card on that. Yeah. And in Texas, they, it's a literal get out of jail free card. They can actually uh, leverage their badge and their and their police license to avoid jail time, which right. is incidentally, with the exception of like three people, the only time cops actually resign. Hmm. Interesting. Did you hear uh, New Mexico uh, got rid of qualified immunity for state troopers or state police? And it was, it was. I didn't, but that's a good thing. It was worded in a certain way that it, they didn't use the term "qualified immunity," but it, it ended immunity for state troopers or whatever they, whatever their version of a state trooper is or whatever. Um, that's so cool. So yeah, so that was exciting. But uh, well, that's that's awesome, Thomas. That's that's crazy. So do you think they were trying to silence Beto by like this procedural? Do you think it was someone just honestly oh, yeah. made a mistake? Or yeah, it was because like, like what ended up happening. I remember I was gonna I was gonna go back there. And uh, it was falling on the same time around Passover. And uh, they had another session like two or three days later. Mm. Like too short of a time for people who like took time off work to go down there to be able to do it again. And Beto was still there speaking. He also spoke on, I don't know if it was that day or another day, but he also spoke against a bill uh, that's basically hurting trans rights right now. Mm. But yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. Because, I mean, 
The committee man said he didn't understand the procedure. That wasn't what was going on. Some shady stuff going on. Yeah. Like some real shady stuff. I think it's awesome that you went down there and that you spoke. Uh, I think that's a fantastic example to be doing. I think, you know, it's hopefully inspires more people to be able to do the same. Because this, all you got to do is get down there, you know? Yeah. Uh, be warned, pack a lunch, because uh, some of these issues take a while. Like, it's not like a city council where they're like, oh, midnight, we got to wrap this up. At, at the state, you go as long as, as, long as needed. No, no clock. Like, some of these things can go till 3 in the morning. Like a baseball game. I mean, it started at 11 a.m. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Crazy, man. Uh, well, that, I think it's awesome. Let, 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 uh, let us know next time you're going to go down there for something, and maybe we can all... I'll, I'll make it work. I know you did. Yeah. It was pretty well, short notice. I, I found out on short notice too, you yeah. know? And that's what's, that's the cool thing about it. Being able to, you know, being able to have the freedom to go like, ah, oh, let's just do this going down there. I love it. Yep. All right. So I guess let's talk about the, the responses that we got back from the candidates. We got three write in, write return, uh, returns. And I'll, I'm going to put this document in the show notes provided below. It's also going to be up on the Justice Reform League page of the questions that we asked we asked them a lot of questions uh 24 questions uh which is a lot but we told them to answer whatever they wanted so they kind of got to pick and choose um the three people who wrote us back was uh jordan mims who's running for city council in district nine um dc caldwell who's running for mayor and jen sardui who's running in district two so I'm just gonna. Is that, is that how we say your name, Sardui? Do we figure um, that out? Uh, I believe so. I did see. Uh, I saw Sarah the other day, and she said it was Sardui, and she's very involved in things. So Good, I'm assuming that's, she that's knows. That's my district two <laughs> pick. Like I don't live in district two, but that that would be my pick right there. Yeah, same. Well, now we've got even more info. So here, I'll run down the questions real quick. It's actually, we're gonna start with Jordan because that's the that's what I have right in front of me. But. He's, he just you know said thank you for your questions and he answered eight of them. The w- first one was what inspired you to run? And he said, um, I'm running because the status quo no longer serves the community. We need leaders who reflect the diversity and the culture of Fort Worth. I know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck without health insurance and a means of transportation. Past accomplishments and qualifications should not be an indication someone is qualified to be on city council. I have fresh ideas, determination, and a strong willingness to learn. I love that he said, you know, just because of your past accomplishments and, qual- and qualifications, that's not enough for you to be on city council. And even if you don't have those things, that doesn't negate the fact that you can or can't be on city council. Um, I, 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 I like this because you yeah. know the working class needs more representation. And I found out he used to work at the Bearded Lady. I used to work at the Bearded Lady. Um, and so just being a service industry person to me is, is endearing as well. It's like, oh, okay, this dude, this dude gets it. Um, so, uh, number two is if elected, what would be your first priority? And he, he kind of gave us a pretty big answer. Uh, and again, it's going to be available in, uh, on the website and in the show notes. I'm just going to kind of give us an abbreviated version. Um, he says a robust trans- public transportation system. That's like his first priority, investing in a robust public transportation system, um, he also wants to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. And he says uh, our uh, median household income is below the national average and our poverty rate is higher than the national average here uh, in Tarrant County. And so he's wanting, wanting to rectify that. 
Uh, and I agree, $15 minimum wage is, would be fantastic at the city level. That would be super yeah. amazing. And he says specifically for companies with 100 plus employees. So if you're a small business, yeah. you know. I you, liked that he that he mentioned that, like, because he said um, an, an ordinance for companies with 100 plus employees um, and and incentives and grants for small businesses. Exactly. And so that, that's, really I really like that a lot. Uh, I, yeah. I totally agree. So that that's that's exciting. Uh, and the, the mm-hmm. another third issue was advocate for affordable housing. And he says, our median rent and income uh, home values have increased. We need to invest in multifamily housing, small and medium scale development, and prevent luxury development in high risk neighborhoods. We need to stop the displacement of our residents. Housing was a big so, deal. Kind of brings that up a few times. Yeah. yeah so real talk on that. Uh, when I was doing some stuff for no sleep, and we were going to try to do some stuff for the homeless. And I called up the Tarrant County Housing Authority and stuff. And normally, like this is this is bad because normally, uh, the applications for like affordable housing are backed up by like two years. Yeah. But since COVID happened, it's like seven. I believe it. I believe it. So there's a lot. Like of- that Panther Project money should probably be going to this right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, hundred um, percent. So number three was what is one policy you're not willing to compromise on? Uh, and he said, I'm not willing to compromise on the divestment of CCPD funding. Fort Worth PD does not need more money. We have larger institutional issues to tackle as a result of systemic racism and oppression. Yes. Based. Snaps. Yes. You can't hear him because I've got my noise suppression on, but. Let's <laughs> go. Okay. Uh, number four. Uh, what are the best parts about Fort Worth and what parts need to be improved? And he gave us a pretty pretty decent answer. I'm just going to shorten it down a little bit. Improve public transportation and have zoning reform to stop the displacement of residents due to gentrification. He also wants to incentivize investors and developers to build outside of the city center and expand businesses to neighborhoods who need jobs and resources. Uh, and he also wants to provide grants to entrepreneurs to keep revenue local uh, amid the small business crisis. And he calls it a small business crisis, which I think is important because no one, I'm not hearing a lot of people acknowledge the fact that we're in the middle of a crisis right now uh, in the city. But if you just look around, uh, so many places are gone. Uh, number five was, uh, have you, are you going to take money from the Fort Worth POA? And he said, I have not, and I will not take money from the Fort Worth POA and actively involved. My man. Yeah. I am actively involved in enough is enough. And I also support the Atatiana project. At the Black Voters Matter event, in partnership with the Atatiana Project, I promise to divest CCPD funding back into the community and support the creation of a community police oversight committee with subpoena power. We need the city to hold officers accountable for their actions. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Awesome. Great. Uh, number six, what is your stance on defunding the police and refunding social services? Uh, and uh, again, gave, gave us a, a good, great answer. Essentially, he wants to divest all funding from the CCPD district. And the, he says the money should not be used to implement 63 cameras in high crime areas. We need to address deeper issues within the city, like poverty, houselessness, joblessness, food mm-hmm. insecurity, lack of access to healthcare, et cetera. Oh, you mean like the stuff is supposed to be, you mean it's not supposed to be a police, police slush fund. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Yeah. Um, okay. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's I actually- loved his answer to the next one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Who is your role model as a politician? RuPaul <laughs> Charles and AOC. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> oh yeah, that was. Awesome. I wish I wish that he explained a little bit um, about, RuPaul. about RuPaul's politics. Yeah, <laughs> that he let, liked, but um, but that's just because I want to hear it. 
Yeah, it's, no, certainly. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know too much about his politics, but like his attitude. Well, I think just like how how he handles the politics in his world, you know, uh, okay, whatever yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Uh, and finally, uh, what solutions do you have to address the growing unhoused population of Fort Worth? And he says, ending houselessness will help save taxpayers money. I want to repeat that. Ending houselessness will help us save taxpayers money. Um, he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. And people should say that more often. Um, it, it's more expensive. The system that's currently set up is, is obviously not working, but it's also more expensive. Uh, he says shelters are the only band-aid or only a band-aid solution. There are plausible solutions to address the growing unhoused populations like transitional housing, rapid rehousing through building partnerships with landlords and subsidized housing for rent and move in assistance. So he just provides a bunch of different examples, a bunch of different things that we could be doing and providing more money to. So thank you, Jordan, very much for answering these questions. We really do appreciate it. Um, next, I'm going to go to DC Caldwell. And DC was a sport, man. I'll tell you what, he answered every single one of our questions. And he, the 24? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so like, thank you, DC, for, for taking the time to do that because I know that did take a lot of time. And thank you for taking the question seriously. You did give us honest answers. Uh, and, I, and I appreciate that. <laughs> so um, he says, uh, let's see, where do I start? Okay, what inspired you to run? He says, I have several sources of inspiration. And the one that feels most important today is the drive to continually improve and do better. And because he answered all the questions, again, I'm not going to give the full answers for all of them because that would just, that would take a lot, a lot of time. But, but uh, that, so, well, so just so you know. Number two, yeah. uh, if elected, what would be your first priority? And he says, responsiveness to concerns, suggestions, and feedback of residents. And then he kind of get, and so that's kind of vague, but he gives examples like putting out fires, fixing water, main breaks, providing public safety. So essentially, like whatever the people are needing would be his first priority. Um, number three, what's, what is one policy that you're not willing to compromise on? And he says, don't ask me to lie. I'm not good at it. Am I interpreting that wrong, or does he mean there's nothing he's not willing to compromise on? That's how, that's what he means. That's yeah. how I took it. Yeah, I, I was I was showing Amber these this morning, and she's which she, she I mean thinks, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah, you know, I don't want him to lie to us about that, but I also don't really value that in a yeah. In a Amber like, thought a he misunderstood the that question. represents me. Amber thought he he like misunderstood what we meant by compromise. Um, or something. I don't know. I took it the way that you took it. That don't ask me to lie. I'm not good he, at it. The way that he presents a lot of these answers, it like it felt like him. You know, like I mean, I don't, I don't know him, but like yeah. the no, they were honest. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Like that makes sense as something that he would say. Maybe we could ask him again answers. so we can like clarify. You know, so we can understand that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, excuse yeah. me, sir. Did you say that there's nothing you're not willing to compromise on? I mean, so yeah. Well, I think he means he will compromise on everything, right? Or yeah, which I think he views yeah. as a positive thing. He's a very yeah, well, so like his background is very like you know he was an Eagle Scout. He got into politics uh, pretty young. Mm -hmm. It seems like he he's done a lot of you yeah. know research about like Texas politics specifically. Yeah. And I don't um, I don't want so us like, to sound naive that like we don't think politics involves compromise. Like obviously politics involves right. compromise but usually people have like one thing that they're very right. you know that's like their thing they're not willing to budge on and so it's just interesting i guess he's taking a realist stance and being like oh you know that politics you compromise on everything i don't know 
reading into it, it's a it's a funny answer. I laughed when I read it. I was like, okay, but I didn't know exactly politics, what he meant. Politics is a funny thing because like you can go in there with the best of intentions, but you gotta realize there's gonna be you're gonna be having to work with people with different opinions from you, different viewpoints, and so there's going to have to be, and you need their approval for some of these things. So there's going to have to be. Some compromise and some issues. Sometimes you can be the guy that gets it all done. Everyone loves you. Yeah. Most of the time, you're gonna have to be the guy that you know. You might not score a touchdown, but you gotta get that ball a little bit further down yeah. the, down the field. So this bill, you know, you might be supporting a bill that doesn't do everything you wanted it to, but it might get you a little closer to your goal. All right, and I mean, like, yes, compromise like that needs to happen. But like, like, I don't know. Like Jordan said, like it's not right. necessarily that you know, he's going to immediately like make sure that the CCPD fund is, is like not a thing anymore. And like, like he might not be able to do that right away, but like that is a goal of his that he's not going to let go of. Exactly. It's how I I think, I think one of the reasons he may have said that one of the ways he may have interpreted it was that a lot of politicians and asked that question, they're going to give the generic answer. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll negotiate. I'll compromise. I'll work, I'll work with other people. I'll reach across the aisle, you know? And I think he was, he was, reading subtext in that and just saying, look, I'm going to be straight up. I'm not going to lie about this. In other words, he's not going to go and say that. And then when he yeah. gets in there, not do that. He might be the guy that goes in there and says, you know what? <clears throat> around and find out. We're going to get this done. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's, I, I like the answer, but again, yeah, I, I agree with you, Thomas, too. It definitely could be that way as well. Kind of one open-ended, I guess the fewer words there are, the more it is left up to interpretation. Um, anyways, Jordan, if you're I'm, listening, we need clarification. <laughs> Yeah, DC. It's DC. No, it's yeah, DC. You're certainly welcome to to send us a tweet or an email. Uh, you can hit us up at FW Review on Twitter, or you can you've got our email. Um, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit. Number five was uh, the uh, Are you going to take any money from the Fort Worth POA? And he says the Fort Worth POA is not going to give me money, so no. And I didn't. <laughs> and so that's honest as well. He did. I mean, it, like maybe if they were willing to give him money, maybe he would. Maybe, but that's not yeah, the, that's not it the situation. It seemed like he so. he's not opposed to taking money for the POA is what I got. Right. But he's also not the kind of candidate that the Fort Worth POA wants to give money to. Yeah, apparently. So again, like that's how I interpreted that one. He's being real. So they like, give me money, they ain't gonna like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number six. What is your stance on defunding the police and refunding social services? He says the CCPB CCPD Proposition A passed. Oh which sends a clear message that defunding the police is an unpopular idea or message. And he left it at that. I just want to remind everybody that 1,400 people participated in that election. Uh, and that's not representative of our almost million people that live in the city of Fort Worth. So uh, it I bothers forgot. me when people say that clear me- Oh, the vote passed. It sends a clear message. Like, how many people voted in that? Nobody. Um, anyways, anyways. These are the same people who, like, someone graffitied the, uh, the memorial for police and firefighters right you had people volunteer to clean it for free and they said no okay so they could fundraise off this i know this because my organization went and cleaned that shit for free then what they did was they took that money and put it into a fucking super pack yep no cap yep that's how that stuff works now ever since citizens united anyways uh and he keeps on his his answer continues he says as for social services i've been homeless before and improving how the shelters in Fort Worth are managed is an issue that is dear to me. Uh, and he's, he brings that up a few times, actually. And he, he, he the example 
is San Antonio's haven for hope. He really likes how that shelter worked, and he kind of wants our shelters to be more like that, more efficiently run, cleaner, um, essentially. Um, going to skip ahead. Number eight. I thought this was a really interesting answer. Um, it is also real. Like, again, he's being, he's being honest. Um, who's your role model as a politician? And he says, let me start by saying that no role model is perfect and that I can admire some of the politicians' achievements while staunchly disagreeing with some of their decisions. That said, Governor Alan Shivers is infamous for his opposition to the decision in Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, and he was wrong for delaying integration efforts. So Brown versus Board of Education was the integration of schools, the Supreme Court decision that passed in 1953. Um, he says, conversely, he still holds the record for the youngest member ever in the, of the Texas Senate, and he established precedent for unifying enemies by gaining the nomination from both the Democratic and Republican parties. During his terms in office, Texas appropriated funding for the Texas State of University for Negroes, Texas Southern University, where I attended the Thurgood Marshall School of Law and for raising teacher salaries and passed a right to work law. So that's the guy he picked, um, even though you can. I'm not going to lie. He really stuck that landing. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, get, let, let me go get my torch. <laughs> but you ain't doing this shit again. So, yeah, so, you know, a, comp a, a, a complex, you know, perspective, a nuanced take on it. I, I could I can value that for sure. Um, uh, so what is your response to the January 6th storming of the Capitol? Is question nine. He says, I shake my head and so dramatic. I shake my <laughs> I head, shake and my head and sigh. It reads like a poem. <laughs> <laughs> I am saddened that our country is so sharply divided. And then this is the part that was interesting to me. I did not vote for Trump, but. I am one of the tens of millions of American voters who retain logical doubts that will perhaps never believe that Joe Biden legitimately won the election. All right. Back to the torches. No, no torches. But I mean, so again, a nuanced take. He's not a Trump supporter, but he doesn't believe that the election was legitimate. So that's unfortunate uh, to me. He has logical doubts. Yeah. So I guess, I guess Fair that's, yeah, I, I guess he's, he's being honest. Too soon. He's being honest. Um, so uh, number number 10, I am going to read that one because he has a really good answer for that one too. And then we'll probably wrap it up. We'll do one or two more. Um, the, again, the entire, since he answered all of them, they all will be up on in the show notes. Uh, number 10 was, what solutions do you have to address the growing unhoused population of Fort Worth? And he says, I propose a multifaceted approach to increasing capacity, thereby decreasing the number that are unhoused. I want to legalize camping and designate campsites at certain parks that can be rented on a daily basis for a nominal fee to cover the cost of administration and cleanup. Um, he says he wants to legalize being an Airbnb host again. Is Airbnb yeah. Ill illegal in Fort Worth? Um, I, I mean, at least a couple of months ago, it wasn't. Yeah, I had <laughs> like, a I haven't stayed checked recently, but yeah. I did think that that one was a little bit weird. Because, um, um, yeah, I definitely know people who live in Dallas. Maybe there were COVID Dallas. rules about it. Hmm. Okay, that would make sense. Maybe. I don't know. But well, I also yeah. don't know how that would increase the available supply of lodging, like he says. Yeah. Like, like as far as like affordable housing is yeah, concerned. Yeah, it wouldn't be you affordable know? Like, for those on the streets. Um, the camping yeah. idea is a good idea. I do like that. Um, the nominal fee, it better be pretty damn nominal. Um, it better be like a dollar. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I I like that idea. Um, in this is in contrast to Jordan Mims, though, as a city, he's running for city council. He said that, you know, the shelter system is only a, a, a band aid. 
and that we need to do a lot more than just improve the shelters. And so that's just, you know, DC here is saying that that's kind of more his thing, improve the shelters, but do some other stuff too. So again, I like the camping idea. Let's uh, skip to the back. Um, there was a couple of more. So they get, I'm going to do two more. And again, this is just the complicated character that is DC Colwell. Um, number 14. Oh, this is, oh, yeah. Number 14. Do you believe Fort Worth has a gang problem? No. Period. And then he says, law enforcement is the biggest gang. So I was like, word. Yeah. Okay, good. I like that. And then, oh, I got to do, I got to do two more. And then number 19, what is your opinion of Ted Cruz? He says, I like him better as a person than John Cornyn. I've shaken hands with both. Sometimes I disagree with him, but like every other human being on the planet, we agree more than we disagree. So he, yeah. he agrees with Ted Cruz on a lot of things and he likes him more than he likes John Cornyn. Uh, number 20, and this we'll just wrap it up with this one. What COVID policies would you implement, if any, to keep the city safe? And he says, I would end the use of the acronym COVID and replace it with viral pneumonia. And Which is scarier to me. <laughs> like, like, viral pneumonia sounds very bad. I feel like he's saying it like to, because he like feels like the use of the, of the acronym makes it One scarier. Second. I don't know. I think maybe like, he's instills fear but i think he's uh, implying that there are procedures in place either by the cdc or the city or something for viral pneumonia and that we should just rather than coming up with new i'm really just going out on a limb here rather than coming up with new regulations and procedures we just do the ones for viral pneumonia because they'll achieve the same thing i i have no the, the longer that i was talking the less i believe that that's the case but in, i don't know also like you can't end the use of the acronym. That's just yeah. I don't. That's I mean, that's you, know, you can the stop the level. city from using the the yeah. term, but like that feels like a silly goal. So, anyways, like you as know, as far as COVID policies are concerned, yeah. So that's you know, take that how you want. Again, if you want to see the full thing, there it's up on the website and it's up on on the show notes. We'll we'll close mm -hmm. it out real quick with uh, Jen Sardui. So, and again, thank you. I, Did we do real quick? I do want to say uh, DC also called out Town Talk. Which, uh, good one. So, okay. What is Town Talk? <laughs> it's a, it's like a, a grocery store and they sell like stuff when, like when other stores like overstock or things are getting like closer to their expiration date, they'll send it to Town Talk. And so it's like a place where you can get like really cheap groceries. Okay. Where's it located? Yeah. It is on, uh, Barry, no, not Barry, uh, Beach, oh. just north of 30. Okay. Beach and yeah. 4th, I believe. Okay. We go there all the time. Even when we lived in Greenville, like Greenville, Texas, we'd go there because it, it'd be that cheap. It would be that yeah. much more affordable to go there than other places. Okay. I've seen people on the Fort Worth subreddit refer to it a few times. I didn't know <laughs> if it was a restaurant or, or what it was. So, okay. Yeah. I think it's it's a really cool like model and I would love to see more of them. There you uh, go. Town talk. Yeah. I, it makes me think yeah. of the UHF uh, sketch from the Weird Al movie UHF where they cut to like, <laughs> a fake, you know, Sally, Sally, Jesse Raphael show called town talk. And so that I was just like town talk, like what? 
Anyways, getting way off topic. Okay, Jen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's my bad. <laughs> uh, so Jen, Jen says, thank you for reaching out. I deeply care about these issues, and I have a lot more to say on them. However, we are right in the thick of a campaign season, and we're very short on time. So I'm sending along our platform, which has a lot of information about why I'm running, which we've already gone over, actually. Um, and so again, you can find that on the previous episode where we covered the city council uh, candidates. But then she did answer eight of our questions. And so number one, what inspired you to run? And she says, I'm running because I'm deeply committed and connected to my community in District 2. And because I believe in our ability to thrive when we have equitable access to resources. And, uh, and she continues on um, issues facing people in Fort Worth. Uh, there's like little or no public input to like what's actually being done in Fort Worth. And she says, we need representatives who are in touch with and responsive to the needs of the working class and of poor folks in our community because right now we don't. Based. True. Um, number two, if elected, what will be your first priority? She says increasing participation in city planning, ongoing issues yes. and next year's city budget. So, yeah. So reaching out to the community to get their input. Fantastic. I mean, the city does surveys, but like we've discussed a few times now, they're really terrible and they've admitted such um, yeah. that they're that they're that they don't really use the Internet to the best of their abilities and don't really put their stuff out there. Um, I mean, their YouTube channel is like two weeks behind and stuff in, in regards to city meetings. And mm -hmm. all sorts. Anyway, anyways, um, so that's a, I like that first priority. That's like a tangible goal. Uh, number three, what is one policy you are not willing to compromise on? She says, I'm not willing to compromise on reimagining public safety. Um, since 2019, I've been engaging my community about what we need to be truly safe. And what I've heard is lit streets, green spaces, childcare, living wages, housing, paid sick leave quality health care and access to affordable quality food so that that's awesome and i that and that is from the community that is what people need and she's like actually listening yes so and that the fact that she said that that she's not willing to compromise kind of on any of these things again is like her demonstrating like i'm listening to my community uh i love it uh number four what are the best parts about fort worth and what needs to be improved and she says the I best mean, part about fort worth is the solidarity neighbors and looking out for neighbors which is great mm -hmm. shout out to the people um number five how are you going to take she gave a little more of the answer but that we're uh, continue on number five uh you are now oh have you or are you going to take money from the fort worth poa and she says no i took no cash i took the no cash from cops pledge uh number six what is your stance on defunding the police and refunding social services she says safer communities don't have more police they have more resources. Again, that is evidence-based. That's the facts. If you look at the research, that's what it says. Not more police. Um, she says, um, we know that for so many people, black, indigenous people of color, LBT, LBGTC, uh, she did the full one, LGBTGNC plus folks, disabled people, unhoused people, undocumented people, the police have never existed to keep us safe. Boom. Uh, what we need in our communities is investment in alternatives to policing through more funding for community-based resources we're already creating. Love it. This is awesome. And then she actually, number seven, what books have you have been inspiring you lately? She said, we do this till we free us by Mariame. Yeah, Mariame Kaba. And then her role models as a politician is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Cori Bush. Yes. Yes. So thank you, Jen, for answering those questions. We know uh, it, it took some time to do that. So thank you so much for giving us your time. Uh, love it. So what do you guys think about about the, our write-ins? Like, 
Um, I am excited that we got any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm stoked, bro. Um, and I, yeah, it's nice to see Jen's been really good about um about communicating about what's important to her about sharing, um, like when she gets feedback from from you know her, hopefully her constituents um and all of that like she's been really like open and sharing a lot kind of this whole process but it is nice to hear um you know just a little bit more specifically about some of these things um as well as uh from jordan um yeah Yeah, because yeah because he didn't he only answered uh eight of them as well um but but it was it's just nice to hear some specifics yeah and that's yeah. kind of I, I kind of liked, even though it seems maybe off putting that we asked them so many questions and we we told them to pick whatever they wanted, <laughs> yeah. so they could pick yeah, the ones that were, they had you know had good answers for or whatever that they really wanted to talk about. So yeah, no, I agree. I feel like we should have ordered them better because everybody just took like the top eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we gave them to you in random order. Yeah, you're right. Answer the ones that you want to, but that's fine. You're right. Well, next time. Well, this is again our first time around. Next election season. We'll be way. We'll have we'll have this this stuff down for sure. Um, yeah. We're kind of figuring out as we go. So I guess now we need to talk about the special election. This is your district, Thomas, right? Yes. Yes, it is. So do you want to just tell us real briefly about Ron White and what you thought of him as your representative in Congress? Well, first <laughs> of all, Ron White had like lung cancer like before. I I I've looked up up his his uh background. Um, Ron White had lung lung cancer before COVID, so he was already mm-hmm. kind of dying. Mm-hmm. The the COVID just kind of accelerated things. Um, didn't finish college. He studied at UTA, but he didn't finish college. Um, he actually worked for the city of Fort Worth for a while. Uh, let me pull this up because I need to remember exactly what it was. I really didn't see a lot from him that made me jump out and be like, oh, he's a representative. It was one of those things where it's like, because of his health problems and his lack of education, I always thought that maybe he should be doing something else. And even though he was like, make sure I get his age right. He was 67 when he died, which means he was young. I thought he was older than that. Yeah, but he was 65 when he went in at in 2019, and that's the first uh, position he have ever held. Um, let's see, Azle, Texas. Okay, sorry, he was he served on the Arlington City Council Council from 2000 to 2008. He was the mayor pro tem of Arlington from 2004 to 2008. That's what it was. He was the Tarrant County Tax Assessor and Collector in That's 2011. That's right. That's why I recognize the name. Yeah. Um, the reason I didn't know that is because I lived in Collin County until up to basically until he entered into into the house. Um, I did not really have a lot of hope in this guy because he seemed like a yes man. Uh, he's one of those dudes where his whole campaign was basically Donald Trump. That's all it was. His whole thing was Donald Trump. Also, um, he still managed to get elected, even though in 2018 he had a uh, 
very publicized incident where he sent sexually explicit photos to a woman who is not his wife. That's right. I remember he, that now that you're saying that. I remember He that. still finished in first in the primary election. Because nobody, <laughs> nobody participates. Sorry. Like, so if you're listening, if you don't think you can win, this guy was able to do stuff, and he's absolutely f***ing terrible. Yeah. And I don't want to. I don't mean to speak ill of the dead, but honestly, the man should have hung it up. I understand like wanting to serve your country and everything, but bruh, bruh, bruh. <sighs> Indeed. So, so please, if you're listening to this, run. Yeah. Run for office. Well, on that note, so people are this time. So there are actually 21 candidates for this uh, this race. Uh 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats. That is a lot. Um so we're only going to go over the Democratic candidates because um, it'll be among those who we find our supporter, which I guess next episode we should sit, we should run down our endorsements uh as a show. I like that. Uh, yeah. So we can kind of, Sounds you know, fun. at least put that out. Um but we can we can kind of go through this real quick. And what, what I essentially did, this document also will be available in the show notes and up on the website. Uh, I went to everybody's uh, campaign page and also applied that. You know, the link is there as well. And I kind of just edited them down to a very truncated version to where we can just kind of briefly go over it real quick. So again, there's 10. So the way this works, any candidate who receives 50% plus one of the votes in this special election will be sworn in to serve the U.S. House House of Representatives in May 2021. Um, if no candidate reaches 50% plus one, uh, the top two will compete in a runoff election in June. Um, so this is different than kind of what we normally cover on the show. We've been talking about a lot of local stuff and statewide stuff. You know, that's usually what we talk about. Um, this Because this is a U.S. Congress seat we're gonna have to kind of take you know the perspective of national issues for the remainder of this episode uh and so that's because that's what these people are running on so so anybody else want to say anything about this election before we kind of get started run down in it all right can you repeat the question sorry no you're fine i feel like i'm teaching my class now that's exactly how my students are um sorry teacher i just i don't I, I know i can ramble i just wanted to give you guys the opportunity to say something before i just start talking a lot um so we've got i'm just gonna go down the list we've got Jana lynn sanchez and she's the only one that like i was really aware of with the exception of one other person because she's been hitting me up through twitter and i've been receiving text messages from her campaign so she's putting it out there she's got some financial backing enough to to be doing the you know the the modern way of, of hitting people up for donations and stuff is through, you know, through social media and through text messages and stuff. She went to Rice University. Um, and I'm not going to read all the stuff that they provided us again. It'll be provided for you. Her issues are so, okay. After a career in journalism, I built a business from scratch, creating jobs and helping companies succeed. Along the way, I faced challenges many Texans face from navigating the healthcare system for my parents and being able to afford healthcare from a self-employed person. And she ran for Congress in 2018. Uh, and so now she's running again. She says she will fight to make sure healthcare. So her, she's got four issues and actually liked it. Her compared to some of these people, which was nice compared to what we've been doing, through, you know, looking through the city council, a lot of these people didn't have anything. All of these candidates, with the exception of two, had a ton of stuff on their campaign websites. 
Um, so, and again, those are linked below. You can go check them out yourself. Uh, there was two people that didn't have really much of anything, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so Jaina was really short and sweet with hers. Four things under her, her issues that were important. Four things with pretty short little synopsis. So number one was healthcare. And she says she will fight to make sure healthcare is affordable and accessible for all Texans and provide coverage for those with pre-existing conditions, including coronavirus. Um, she supports shoring up and expanding the ACA um, and public option for Medicare and the expansion of Medicaid in Texas. All Texans must have medical coverage they can afford. So she's not for Medicare for all, but she is for a public option and she is for the expansion of Medicaid, which Texas, if you don't know, the federal government ever since Obamacare, quote unquote, became a thing, um, all of the states could opt into getting a certain set amount from the federal government. A ton of money. It's like $50 billion or something. I don't remember the exact number. A lot to go for expanding Medicare, Medicaid in Texas so more people qualify for it. Uh, Texas has never joined into that. Ever since, when did that? When did we get Obamacare? What was it, 2012? Uh, so yeah, that's when we had Rick Perry, the, uh, the other stupid, yeah. stupid governor. So for a while, a couple of governors, a few different legislative sessions, none of them have opted in, or I guess it's the governor's decision, none of them have opted in to join that so she's advocating for that she's saying hey texas needs to do this um so that's nice economy uh jane lynn will focus on restoring jobs and economic recovery with direct recovery so she wants more stimulus uh and she wants uh, a 15 dollars minimum wage so that's nice um covid 19 relief was her third issue she says she will work with president biden to expedite vaccine distribution um so okay great can't really argue with with really any of these i don't think uh and the last one is gun safety uh, Jane Lynn grew up shooting a gun and supports the Second Amendment, just as she does the rest of the Constitution. Common sense gun laws, such as taking guns off the hands of domestic abusers and the mentally ill, requiring stricter licensing and universal background checks, however, in no way violate the Constitution and are just common sense steps. So there you go. Um, she is a Democrat and she is gun safety is one of her issues. So I know there's a lot of people that like that. That's that'll make it or break it for for who they're going to vote for. Um, but, you know, well, that that. You know, I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Uh, well, sidebar, I think I think she'd be a really good moderate Democrat. But uh, she ran against Ron White at the last election. Um, Ron White got 135,961 votes. She got 116,350 votes. That's, that's really low. I mean, that's probably. Yeah, that's like a th that's lower than you'd like it to be. But. Yeah, it's maybe a 20 percent turnout or something as far as the, you know, I don't even know how many people registered to vote but as far as the popular population overall. It's it's probably less than that, honestly, because this district has several million people in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's <sighs> yeah. OK, so there, so that's Jane. Uh, next is Patrick Moses. Um, Patrick says, I will utilize my experience as a pastor at First Missionary Baptist Church in Fort Worth. Uh, and as a 30-year retired executive of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security to work with you. He's a proud Democrat, but will never choose party over neighbors, state, or country. His issues, he had many that were listed under his issues, and one was empower small businesses and working families. Another is prioritize health care. And so he, I'm going to go through kind of the healthcare things for all of them because that's kind of, there's a bunch of different takes on how to do that, right? Um, he says, access to quality, affordable health care insurance as a human right and as a matter of basic decency. So the human right is kind of like a dog whistle to like Medicare for all. At least when I hear that, health care mm -hmm. is a human right. Like that's what I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, with the highest uninsured population in the entire country, Texas is especially vulnerable to health risks, particularly COVID-19. We must expand access to high-quality healthcare across the state and county and invest in widespread vaccine distribution. So all that's pretty generic, but that the healthcare is a human right. That's the thing that kind of my ears perk up. I'm like, all right, but he didn't actually use the words Medicare for all. He actually kind of avoided it, it seems like, after that, which maybe is a smart move. I don't know. Um, if, yeah. if, if that's what he wants, I don't know. You guys are for that, right? We're all for Medicare for all, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think that the, the amount of money or lack thereof in your bank account should determine whether or not you get to live or die. Yes. 100%. Imagine. Yeah. Just common sense. <laughs> um, effective leadership strategies and accountability. He says we must hold our leaders accountable and incorporate strategies that ensure efficiency and transparency. Uh, all right. Not, not any demonstrations of how, but I agree with that. And then the rest of it's like ERCOT stuff, public investment in infrastructure. He kind of talks about the the power situation, you know, the the weather storm that we had. He says address the climate crisis. So some of these people actually mentioned climate change, some don't. So he put it, climate crisis on his thing. Uh, we must take action to ensure that our energy grid is resilient and flexible to deal with extreme weather that may impact our state. We also must prioritize the creation of green jobs that will help our environment and bolster our economy. So dig it, dig it. Like it, Patrick Moses. Uh, it's pretty sweet so far. Uh, promote a quality, equitable public education. A lot, I think just everybody put public education on here because Texas's education is so bad. Um, and then address food insecurities was the last thing he put. So that's it. That's can't really, I don't know. Do you guys have any issues with any of that? Or did, I don't know. I mean, that all sounds pretty good. Um, I, you know, he doesn't have like, super detailed like how he's going to do it on all of them which you know nobody yeah. does yeah. um but I, I really like i love that he's talking about food insecurity yes um i love that he's mentions the climate um one thing that's interesting to me he to me this seems like a local thing like re just reading these issues i feel like we're looking at a city council candidate um, rather than a U.S. congressional candidate. These aren't, like, national issues. Um, not that they well, shouldn't be, so you know? Like it, that's a good thing, though. Food insecurity should be. Represent yeah. his community yeah. to the nation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and... That's what you need. So he's running for... Is this a representative? This, yeah, this is for U.S. Okay. Congress. U.S. House. Okay, and so... Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things, like, are about Texas. So, like, I should probably have a better understanding of uh, what, like, different issues the Senate and the House handle. But, yeah, well, uh, I mean, they kind of take them up independently, and the the House will tap, have their version of something, and they'll send it to the Senate, and then the Senate will change it, you know, amend it, and vice versa. The Senate will come up with their own. Sometimes they do, they both come up with their completely separate bills about the same issue. Uh, but they, but they wouldn't do anything like to just like just to Texas, no, you know, like no, it, yeah, it would be federal. like nationwide stuff. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, he's he's definitely like he's representing his communities. It looks like, um, like he's he is mentioning you know Texas and stuff a lot. But I think you know that that could just be like you know if he's you know, sitting at the bargaining table, he's like, well, this is what my communities need, which is, yeah. you know, which is good. Um, yeah. Regardless of if that's also happening elsewhere, which sounds great. Yeah. 
I would, none of these things like would make me mad if they happened in multiple places. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good point. So, okay. So let's, let's run down some more of them. Let's see for comparison. You know, we've only got gone two people so far. So let's see. Lydia Bean is next. Lydia is a new mother, small business owner and community leader who has worked across partisan lines and brought people together to make real change. Um, that's just a little saccharine. I'm sorry. At this, uh, as the daughter of a teacher and a pastor, Lydia's parents taught her to stand up for what she believes in. Lydia put that lesson to work when she founded Faith in Texas, a nonprofit organization that brings faith communities together to work toward change in their schools, cities, and state. Lydia graduated from Austin College and holds a PhD in sociology from Harvard University. She is the author of Politics of Evangelical Identity and is a former professor at Baylor University who has written about faith, politics, and civic engagement in the Washington Post, Vox, and Washington Monthly. She didn't have any issues on her page. She's the only yeah, person that... she's got a little, like, why I'm running section. Yeah. Um, she, she says that our right to vote is sacred and the results of our elections must be respected once we reestablish our commitment to a free and fair democracy for all. Congress can come together and solve the problems that are facing every Texan building back our economy from the ground up by repairing our crumbling infrastructure, getting North Texas reopened as quickly and safely as possible, and ensuring that after COVID-19, every Texan has a fair shot to succeed. So not very specific, but like a little bit issues. At least we know she cares about infrastructure. Yeah, infrastructure. And at least, I mean, she's saying that she supports the election results, but is she, did she say that, that we need to make the elections more secure? Did she say something like that? Well, she says once we reestablish our commitment to a free and fair democracy for all, which kind of implies that it's not established. (laughs) Yeah, that's weird. It's weird because she feels like a Republican to me. I mean, I guess a lot of the the faith stuff or the religious stuff, you know, and not all religious people are are conservative, you know. Um, But then she writes for The Washington Post. She has written for Vox and The Washington Monthly. I mean, those are like establishment Democrat you know, publications. Um, and so that's just kind of, you know, I get a, I get a, you know, a New York Times. She got a PhD. So, I mean, she's smart. She went to Harvard, but again, that's super establishment. Like you pretty much had to go to Harvard to work in, in DC or anything. Right. So, yeah. so like, I, I don't, I, I'm not excited about her. I don't know. Thomas, what do you think? You've been quiet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on with this, with, with this. I mean, I don't know, actually, because like this has been this th- this particular special election has kind of been a cluster because like no one knows who's who's running until, you know, till now. Um, I really haven't. Hang on one second. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me dubious when, like, everything on their resume is religion-centered. Yeah. Like, religion's, like, great. Absolutely. Do your thing. But, like, when you haven't done a single thing that's not, like, part of your, the politics of evangelical identity, I'm like, I don't know. That might just be my trauma speaking, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a uh, there's a lot of weight to it, a lot of baggage to that. I don't know. It it makes me suspicious too. 
and it, it hurt people hurt people man yeah but i don't know maybe we're just reading too much into it i don't know i don't want to talk bad about about yeah i know, mean that's that's why i was doing that yeah. on the on the dead time <laughs> yeah i'm like i don't really want to just like bash religion yeah like that's not what i'm saying but i mean you can i'm not gonna hurt i'm not gonna hate you for it <laughs> I mean, but I don't want to. I I just I yeah. I just very much notice that like everything she does is like faith centered. Which is great as long as she is also like you know, kind and respectful and caring toward non Christians. Yeah. See here's the thing. The people who run on a faith-centered campaign usually fall into the category of, I say I'm running on a faith-centered campaign, but I'm only doing that to get elected. Okay, For instance, Brian Bird used to be a freaking pastor. Mm. I'm not saying a lot, a lot of very godly things from this man. <laughs> okay. Oh, like, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I got something. Up. Before real, we wrap up the show. Real talk. Wondering. I've been talking to pastors this week about approaching him bearing false witness. And, tell, oh. and basically campaigning off of fear. Because he totally is. It's true. He totally is. All right. Well, let's, but, sorry, let's, let's stay on funnily, topic. Funnily enough, they're all like, why? He's not going to get elected. Matty, Big, uh, Matty Parker's going to beat him. I was like, oh, that's a good point. I hope not. Oh, well. So, so, that's, um, so that's Lydia. Next is Sean Lassiter, which if you've been listening to us, you maybe recognize that name. Uh, she was running for city council when we actually covered her uh, on our city council episode. However, she's dropped out of that race and now she is running for this congressional seat. So she is a nonprofit leader, a lifelong educator, a single mom, and a former science teacher. As a first-generation college graduate, Sean Lassiter understands the power of education to liberate people and open doors of opportunity. She is another one who has a very detailed uh, website. And let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Eight issues that were up on there. I'm only going to go into detail on a few of them. Um, making the economy work for working families was one. Uh, she supports growth and rate, and she supports raising wages. Uh, leadership and accountability is another one. And she says she isn't accepting any money from corporate PACs. That's one of the things like transparency is uh, an issue that's important to her. Nice. Yeah. Uh, another thing, building back from the COVID-19 pandemic, pandemic she supports another round of stimulus checks she supports keeping a moratorium on evictions and she imports uh, supports investing in vaccine distribution so this is what i'm talking about well like these are national this is federal stuff like this is stuff right. that we're like okay we want congress to pass another stimulus check we want congress to keep a moratorium on evictions right so that's the stuff she's speaking to those issues and that's kind of what i was like looking for from some of these other people um she like, said i guess like Patrick Moses, like his issues were good, but like I almost like want him to run for like Texas state legislature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like like with that kind of thing, you get with with the U.S. Congress, you've got to be able to take like your local issues and your state issues and make them relevant to national issues. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and so she throws out that term we were talking about earlier again: healthcare as a human right. And that's like her her tag for her her issue. Uh, so that to me is like Medicare for all. She says she will fight to build a more equitable healthcare system where everyone can get great healthcare by strengthening Medicare and defending protections for pre-existing conditions. Um, and she wants to help healthcare, you know, represent and fight for regular people rather than the insurance companies and the drug companies. Sounds very Bernie Sandersy. I love it. Uh, yep. 
strong, equitable public schools is what she said. And because she used to be a science teacher, uh, she, she knows about all that type of stuff. Um, and so she opposed corporate-backed attacks against our public education system, which that is something I would love to do an episode on, maybe over the summer or something, talk about some of the problems that we've got going on. Uh, so she acknowledges those and wants to deal with those. Comprehensive immigration reform is another one. So that's, again, a national issue. Uh, she says the diversity of Texas's sixth district is firsthand evidence that immigrants are essential to our communities, which I thought was a great yeah. As I thought, I love it. I love it. Uh, mm -hmm. Sean will stand with our immigrant communities and fight for comprehensive immigration reform that centers dignity, prosperity, and safety. She says she'll stand up for dreamers, fight for a pathway to citizenship, and work to reunite children with their families. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last two, I said I wasn't going to read them all, but I, these last two I'm definitely going to read. So here's, here it is. Tackling the climate crisis. So again, she acknowledges the climate crisis and she says, as a former high school science teacher, Sean knows that climate change is real and that we need to step up and address the crisis before it's too late. Sean will fight for a historic investment in renewable energy to create green jobs and ensure every Texan has access to clean air and clean water. Um, so she ties it into, you know, not just not just acknowledging that it's real, but like, here's some policies that we can do that'll enact those things. And so clean air and clean water being some of those, you know, other issues that you can address with green technology. Uh, and finally, equal rights for women, which we haven't seen yet. And I, there might be one other candidate that says it. Um, Sean supports a woman's right to access reproductive health care, and she'll fight to protect that right in Congress. She knows the attacks on access to birth control and other women's health care disproportionately affects women of color here in Texas. That's why she'll fight to reduce the maternal mortality rate for women, uh, maternal mortality rate for women of color, and will work to pass legislation ensuring equal pay for equal work. So love it. Sean Laster seems like a great candidate. What do you I love mean? that she mentions the maternal mortality rate because that's, a, yeah. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that's like a something that Tarrant County is not doing very well it's right now. really bad. Texas in general, yes. but like especially yeah. Tarrant County, even within Texas. Yes. Yeah. And again, um, yeah. I really wish there was going to be like a primary for, for the Democratic part because I, I really wish, I think if it's going to be not a Republican, it's either going to be Sean Lasseter or uh, sorry, I got to get my notes. Not Lydia, but uh, yeah, yeah. Jane Lynn. Sanchez. Mm. It's going to be between those two, I think. Yeah. Because she ran last time. Yeah, so yeah. she's got the name recognition, but I think Sean Lasseter is ultimately would be a better congresswoman when you get her in there. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think they can be Republican if they're too busy fighting themselves. So they had a primary, and they went at it. Whoever won could be the person we send and then everyone could get behind them but literally like they're, they're putting on such short notice that i think the reason greg Abbott's doing that is because he knows that tarrant county is slowly turning blue and if he gives them more time there's more of a chance of, of you know that seat turning blue instead of red mm -hmm. and another thing like it could kind of go either way it's possible where you end up with two republican candidates and not a one and one it's also possible that you can have two democratic candidates in there um, it's just going to be a runoff between the top two. Yeah. Because all of them are the, because of the no primary thing. So, uh, Which is really interesting. Yeah, it is. So, we're, I mean, this is, again, why voter turnout is so important. Uh, the turnout is really going to affect the runoff because they're very likely will be a runoff. Um, mm -hmm. So next is Matt Hinterlong. Matt grew up in Arlington. He went to work on, he says he then went to work on as an accountant went on to work, excuse me, as an accountant for the Department of Defense 
and he was a contractor in the Republic of Georgia, in Afghanistan, and in Iraq. From there, he went on to earn a master's in science uh, in sustainable development from the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands, where he wrote a thesis on polity incentives for solar PV in North America, which I just thought was very interesting. Just, I want to go to school in the Netherlands. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, but he says, and he, I thought this was interesting. He says on January 6th, 2021, everything changed for both Matt and every single American. He has no interest in culture, war, politics, no patience for zealotry, misinformation, and the unfounded rejection of the democratic process that led to the failed insurrection at the beginning of 2021. It's time to dismiss the current political rhetoric from the extremes on both sides and to simply focus on real people and real policy. So like he it, it is running because of what happened on January 6th is essentially the impression that I get. I respect that, but uh, r r real talk, none of those both, both sides no more. Eat the rich. Yes. No, correct. Eat you can't. Them. You can't. Sorry. No, no. No, no, no. Okay. It's, I want to make it clear that like, the, the, you know, you can't afford to be neutral on a moving train. You can, and, and yeah. so and things are headed in, in, a, in a one direction in this country, evidenced by the attempted insurrection. Right. And so whenever we talk about I, being a centrist in, in that type of environment is just letting what's happening continue to happen. Um, so when things are like that, you kind of you can't you got to take sides. Uh, that's the way I personally view it. I mean, obviously, that's, you know, people have their own perspective about that. But anyways, um, continuing on. He gave a lot of information on his website. Again, not going to read it all, but it's it's there provided for you. He sounds a lot like a Republican because of his defense history. Right? Yeah. 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 He's a very strong military, which did seem pretty, pretty Republican. Yeah. Not happy about what Biden's doing, like the Biden's proposal for the budget, like in raising, giving the military more money, just like just like Trump did, but also just like Obama did. Uh, let's stop doing that. All right. We're, we're all like, how are we going to pay for Medicare? Like, well, first of all, let's stop giving the military money. Okay. Uh, defund yeah. the police, defund the military too, bro. Um, so mm -hmm. he, he says he's, he's for national security. He gave a bunch of information about national security, domestic terrorism, pro strong military, uh, and climate change and infrastructure were like his top four issues. And then he said comprehensive immigration policy. And so I was kind of like, what are the specificities of that? And he said, he, those who take responsibility for themselves submit to the application process and wait their turn, and they should be offered a chance of residency or citizenship for themselves and their families. So, I mean, he's not really for, he's just for like fixing the immigration process to like back to where it was under Obama, which was still really bad. Um, so that, that was disappointing to me. He's not like, let's, let's, let's get a new immigration system going or let's overhaul it, right? Let's do it. It's been gutted under Trump. He's essentially just saying, like, let's get it back to where people can apply and then still wait outside of the country their turn and let's maybe speed up the time. I don't know. Not crazy about that one. Um, renewing American leadership. And as someone who who made, you know, as a history person, and mm -hmm. so, imperialism is something is like one of my one of my things. I totally disagree with his perspective on this. And he says America leads. We always led until the most recent former president withdrew the United States from participation in the international yeah. efforts on peace building, climate change, and, and trade. President Biden is reversing these unforced errors and aided by a proactive Congress is reestablishing the U.S. as a force for good on the world stage. Congress should continue these efforts and should aggressively re-engage in efforts formally to formally join the multilateral trade opportunities that were previously rejected. 
shove this man down a flight of stairs. So don't do that. But he's, he's <laughs> you're right. You're right. He might get up again. So, you know, this is one of those things where I think it's important to be nuanced on stuff. Trump got us out of, well, he, he a new trade deal now, but he initially got us out of the, the TC, triple C. Oh, I'm totally blanking on the acronym for it now. Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TTP, um, TPP. And that was something that I was like, well, actually, I'm glad that you canceled that. We did not need to be a part of that trade. I'm against all of these trade agreements because this is why we don't have jobs or, or good paying jobs anymore in this country. It's because of NAFTA from the 90s. We mm-hmm. outsourced all of our jobs overseas. And so continuing these types of trade agreements is just continuing that that process and perpetuating that process. And so he's kind of you, saying, you like, I want to hear something about the NAFTA, NAFTA agreement. So real talk. My grandfather was actually the, uh, the president of the IBEW for the Arkansas branch. He helped Governor uh, Clinton get elected. And then when, when Governor Clinton became president, he was one of the trade leaders he was speaking with trying to make the NAFTA deal. There were supposed to be a substantial number of American union jobs as part of that deal. Guess what didn't happen? Those jobs uh, didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me why my, my, gran- my grandfather was on, on television call- calling Bill Clinton a warmy bastard. Because of the NAFTA agreement. Yeah, because of NAFTA. And it, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So this hey, guy's Grant kind of, was right. he's wanting, he's Sorry. in favor of those types of agreements. I mean, we have the, the, the America, Canada, Mexico pact that was signed a couple of years ago. I can't remember. I might've gotten the order of the countries wrong. Um, but again, it's just those types of things. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a sticky thing. Geopolitics and all that type of stuff is pretty, yeah. is, is complicated, but like, I don't know. I'm already not crazy about this guy's stance, and we'll, we'll pr- quickly move on. Uh, economic security, he's for raising wages. He doesn't say how much, but he says $7.25 is not good enough. Um, so Here's $9, kids. Yeah, you know. Health, what that maybe. I don't know. <laughs> he's vague about that one. Healthcare, he says the greatest barrier to healthcare access in Texas is the inexplicable refusal of our Republican governor and legislator to expand Medicaid. So even this guy is in favor of expanding Medicaid. I mean, you pretty much, like, we're an idiot not to because it, it doesn't cost us anything. It's free money. Again, we pay it in taxes. It's not totally free. It's your money giving it back to you from the federal government uh, for Texans. And we're just not taking it. We're just not taking it because we're too proud, I guess. I don't know. Um, another issue is good government. Uh, he says government isn't inherently a bad thing and needs to be, that needs to be starved of resources. Government should, be, should do its name's tasks with adequate funding and personnel. So yeah, I, I, I like that shout out to the small government Republicans that are, you know, Tea Party types that are in Texas that are just any any apparatus they can get a hold of, they just starve it of money and make it not work and kind of go, oh, look, oh, look, this thing doesn't work. We should get rid of it. It's like, yeah, you know, I agree certain parts of the government need to be shrunk down, but the ones that are, are, are doing good stuff, like make sure they're well-funded, like education, for instance. Um, he's also for COVID vaccination awareness and education, and he's pro-stimulus. So, so there you go. Uh, we're, we're almost done here, guys. We got Brian K. Stevenson didn't have anything about anything, but he had a YouTube video of his wife in the car with him asking him questions while they're driving down the road. So I didn't watch it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but you can go watch it if you want to know more about Brian K. Stevenson. We have the link in the doobly-doo below. Uh, um, At least he's trying. <laughs> there's, I mean, it's something, I guess, but. I was trying to get everybody researched accordingly. And I, I was just like, if this is all the guys got, I don't have time to watch this like eight and a half minute video. Um, Manuel Richard Salazar III is another person who had no information on him. There's a couple websites that just had 
him, him and then like all the questions they asked him that he didn't answer. So I gave one of them there in the link doobaloo. Unfortunately, Manuel Richard Salazar III, we don't have any more information on him. Uh, the last person, oh, we got two people. Oh my God, we got so much more. We're not almost done, guys. We got a few more. Oh no. I'm sorry. It's okay, we'll I got, hurry. I got excited. You did miss one, but it's okay. He he, he doesn't matter. Who did I miss? <laughs> uh, Castro. Oh, I didn't put him on here. I just copy and pasted the list of names from the the one of the news articles. So, sorry, Castro. Uh, oh, anyways, uh, back to where you we don't, don't apologize. He's not worth your time. Okay, fair enough. I'll sorry, I really don't it. like this guy. I'll take your word for it. All right, let's not give him any more airtime then. So, anyways, <laughs> next is uh, Daryl J. Eddings, who was uh, Sergeant First Sergeant Daryl J. Eddings from the U.S. Army. He's retired. Uh, when he meets, he meets people where they live. He listens, he observes, he assesses needs. He investigates what should be happening and who should be doing what. Then he sets out figuring out a way to meet and uh, to meet immediate needs and fixing, or at least improving things so that other people do not suffer from the same situation unnecessarily. Uh, I like that perspective, how that's worked out. It's very, uh, you know, kind of a militaristic type perspective as far as assessing things, but I, I, I can respect that. Um, he says his, his page was like very wasn't organized very well he had a lot of information on it but it was it didn't have like bullet points and kind of really nice concise ways like some of the other people did so i didn't have the time to like go through all of it but i i did get some stuff here which is some good stuff actually um he says he will back legislation that promotes full employment so that americans can be employed and have a career path for advancement um which i thought was really cool um, cuts student loan debt and provides access to affordable quality technical and college university training, eliminates pre-existing exclusions for health insurance for all Americans, including retirees on Medicare, expand Medicare to Americans at age 50 and above. Um, so not for all, but 50 and above, um, and, uh, includes dental services and Medicare coverage. That's, that's good. Rebuilds our nation's transportation academic, uh, revamps the tax system to transfer more of the tax burden from the working class to the top 1%. I like that too. Um, and again, he kind of worded it in a way that like, I will, I will back legislation, which does these things. He didn't really say that. Like I am for these things, but he is, but it's, I, I think it's an interesting way to kind of frame it. Um, as if that maybe he's not going to be proposing legislation like this, but if it comes around, he'll support it. Um, I don't know. I just found that. I don't, I don't know if I'm reading too much into that. He's also for immigration reform. Um, and he's, uh, I will work to, Grant a pathway to citizenship for immigrant families who have lived in the shadows for decades without violating the laws other than immigration and for DACA. So he's pro DACA. He wants criminal justice reform, and he gave a few bullet points on that. Uh, essentially, wants affordable drug treatment, wants mental health care treatment, and when a person files to run for public office, criminal records which have been sealed should be opened, which I thought was interesting and, and kind of like a corner case sort of situation. But I was like, yeah, I like that. Um, he says he will fight his campaign finance reform was something he put on his thing. And like, I, I think he's the only person that did that. And that is something that I think every person who's running for Congress should be for campaign mm-hmm. finance reform. And he actually says, I will fight to repeal Citizens United, um, which again, if for those listening, if you're not aware, this is the Supreme Court decision from 2011 that decided that money is free speech and that corporations and, you know, can spend money in in politics via super PACs. So this is when super PACs became a thing. They didn't used to exist until after 2011. It's only this past decade that we've really been seeing those. 
Uh, and so what that means is you can have an unlimited no cap of amount of money that is being put into this cap and you can have anonymous donors. You don't have to see where the money's coming from. And then that money can be spent on attack ads or however. You're technically not supposed to coordinate with the campaign, but there are ways to do that without getting caught. Um, so it's just it's just corrupting our political system. It's just putting money into the political system and our election process. And so he's like, no on that, which I, I'm like, yeah, super agree. He's for retirement security yeah. and for environmental protection and climate disruption. So he acknowledges the climate crisis as well. So I, I like I like Daryl Eddings, Daryl J. Eddings Sr. You know? Yeah. He also mentioned uh, child and maternal or infant and maternal mortality. Oh, nice. Um, he says uh, there are precincts in U.S. Texas sixth district which have the highest rates of infant mortality. Wait, no, never mind. The sentence doesn't actually make sense uh, grammatically, but uh, he, yeah, he just mentions that like it, it's a really big issue, and that's that's good, very important to him. And he calls out uh, pro-life politicians for taking away or refusing to fund um things that prevent um infant and Abort. maternal mortality like right. uh, like women's right to choose um he mentions uh <laughs> cutting school lunch programs child health care funding and food stamps mm. um while also pretending to be pro life so i i just really nice. appreciate that yeah by the way healthcare access that. is the number one way to reduce abortion if y'all didn't know mhm yeah yeah Nobody wants to get an abortion. People want to have health care to be mm-hmm. able to to, you know, to be able to have control before they end up in a situation that they don't want to be in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's so he that seems cool. I like I like this guy. Um so we got a few candidates on here that seem pretty decent. It's him, uh Sean Lassiter, we also seem to, to like a lot. Uh okay, and then we got like three, three or four more. Chris Suprun or Suprun, Suprun, uh, S-U-P-R-U-N, uh, is, the, is the next candidate. He has served as a volunteer or paid firefighter or pan, uh, paramedic for almost three decades. And he also has recently served as a critical care flight paramedic as, uh, and as adjunct faculty in the pre-hospital emergency medicine with multiple colleges. Uh, so that's been his thing. That's his life. And that's kind of the perspective that he brings to this. He's for COVID-19 improved response. He's for neighborhood based vaccinations. Like he says, like the census come to us or we go to you, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, work with states on licensing issues, local and retired physicians, nurses, and EMSs can be used to administer vaccines and provide medical support. Um, but state based licensing reforms need to take place to help this. I don't know how he can fix that from the U.S. Congress, but I, I like that he's drawing attention to the issue. Um, getting Texas back to work, Americans want to go back to work, uh, and he's pro fifteen dollar minimum wage. Uh, lower, eliminate payroll taxes on earner income, which I, I no one likes a payroll tax, right? But like we've got to get this money that we pay for all this stuff from somewhere. And like, obviously we can reduce the medical budget or the, the military budget. That's one way. Uh, another way is we can increase taxes on corporations, which is probably what we really should do. Also, you know, higher tax brackets and that sort of thing. Uh, so if you do those things, then yeah, then you could argue for getting rid of the payroll taxes, I think, because you still have that money coming in. But in absence you of could that- also, And this would be on the government's part. They could also offer more accessible financial services 
to the people. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. spoiler, most of our debt is actually owned by the American people because they're buying things like bonds and stuff. That's not stuff we that the, that the nation necessarily owes. That's really just people investing in their country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, um, so yeah. So I don't know. That's an interesting. That's an interesting thing. Uh, men and women must earn the same wages for the same work. So there we see it again. Uh, the the equality in pay there, uh, and that is something that could be handled at the federal level. So that's that's cool. F- paid family leave should become a reality for new parents from adoption or birth, and families should be should have paid family leave available for when dealing with critical issues or close family members. So yeah, again, a lot of other countries have paid family leave um, just provided by the government, sometimes four weeks, sometimes six weeks. It depends on where you're looking. Uh, we don't have that in this country. And so he's for that. That's great. Uh, Texas focus on supply chain. Texans can no longer afford to have Chinese manufacturing control our prescriptions, tech, and other critical needs. So he's, he's wanting us to quit relying on China for manufacturing certain things. So it has an anti-China stance, which I guess is really like par for the course these days. If anybody's running for Congress, they kind of have to have like an anti-Chinese posture. Um, I don't know. Again, geopolitics, economics, all that type of stuff is is pretty complicated. And it's more nuanced than just like China bad. But anyways, um, Chris believes that Texas 6th has the best teachers and wants to encourage their grassroots level classroom innovation to be incentivized. Uh, decisions are best made at the local level, and that happens to teachers also. So, uh, pro teacher, pro teacher, you know, innovation in, in classrooms and incentives for that. But uh, again, because of the way education works, like a lot of that stuff's handled at the district level or the state level. I don't know. Again, I don't know how being in the in the in the U.S. House is gonna is gonna address that or anything. Anyways, seems like a pretty cool guy. Uh, you know, it's for decreasing student, you know. Uh, it doesn't say free college, but it says students are spending too much on college. And I, I did like this a lot. He is not a fan of the star test and end of course exams. And so that is something we do need the Department of Education to get rid of this no child left behind thing to where all these states are constantly testing our students because it's uh, it's not helping. It's, it's hurting the, the process. Anyways, he had a lot of other issues, but I'm actually not going to go go into them. He had a strong stance on Israel. <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, it, uh, only person on this list who actually decided to, to really focus on that. And if you want to learn more about that, you can check it out in the show notes. Our last person is Tammy Allison. And do y'all, do y'all have anything hey. you want to say about, about homeboy before we move on though? Before, sorry about Chris <laughs> You're good. Suffering. Um, he, he did also mention the environment. Um, that's, that's nice to see always. Mm-hmm. It's, it really um, is. He is he is pro doing something about climate change, and I do appreciate that. That's that's about all. That's about all. Yeah. Uh, I like the campaign finance reform. Don't think he does enough with the Medicare thing, because um, I don't, I don't think you know your age should also be a factor in whether or not you get health care. You know. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm all about honoring, you know, our elders and everything, but this shouldn't be a thing where only they're getting taken care of, which is actually what's currently going on. Mm-hmm. This needs to be something that's taken care of for everybody. So, you know, the the mistake here isn't going too too uh, big; it's going too little. I think he's I he's doing that. I understand, you know, you gotta get the football down the road, but in this context, you could easily get it 
get it to that goal line. You're not just going to like run to the t- t- to the to the you know to the end zone and then, then just stop you know ten yards before. Yeah, when no one's chasing you. I mean, and that's that's what neoliberal policies that have been enacted by the Democrats since the Clinton administration. Um, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what they do is they, they don't go for it all. They go for the little middle of the road compromise. Uh, and a lot of times they argue from that position. So you get even less than that. You got to argue for the full loaf. Like Bernie Sanders said, you got to ask for the whole piece of bread and you might get half of it. Yeah. Um, but you got to negotiate from that perspective. You don't ask for half or a third of it and then get maybe nothing. Or next yeah, because you, you, know? you know they're going to have to talk you down. So you start from a high point and then work your way in. Exactly. It's like negotiating 101. But for some reason, we see people in, in politics that like that don't do that. Um, anyways, so so there's Chris. And finally, we've got, what did I say, Tammy Allison. So Tammy is, after a decade in Washington, D.C., is a senior attorney and federal prosecutor for the U.S. Department of Justice. For the majority of her career under the Obama administration, Tammy has felt the need to answer the call from the people of District 6. I didn't ask to run, she says. The residents and the people of District 6 did. I've been a public servant in the executive branch for my entire career. Stepping up to the plate to answer this call feels like a natural part of my journey to serve others. So she's been on the executive side of it her whole career. She knows how the political system works. She understands how government works. So that's a plus. And now she's going to be you know, in the legislative side of it, you know, running for it. Um, she had four issues. So again, kind of, kind of short and sweet. Her first one and the biggest one that seemed for her was criminal justice reform. Yes, queen. But wait for it yeah, with a twist. Yeah, she doesn't really talk about criminal justice reform at all. <laughs> in, it's like no, in big letters. Queen. In big letters, <laughs> it says criminal justice reform. And then in little letters, it says dot, dot, dot through the second amendment. And then she says district six, which I, She's got a point, but it was not where I thought she was going. District 6 residents deserve to exercise their Second Amendment rights. As survivor of domestic violence and former legal redress chair for the D.C. branch of the NAACP and an active NRA member, I understand the firsthand, I understand firsthand the importance of safe gun ownership as well as the restoration of gun rights after a conviction. A nonviolent, low-level offense should not preclude any Texan or American from safely possessing a firearm. She's taking a strong... You know, right wing. I'm not saying she's right wing, but that stance, that position is a right wing position of like. Yeah, all of her uh, bullet points on that seem to be like, oh, like allowing more people to own firearms. And you know what, though? Um, like, I don't disagree. Not, if you got I, busted I for weed. But that's not criminal justice reform. That's gun rights. Yeah. But, but no, she's talking about people who were arrested for nonviolent or low level offenses, like arrested for pot, for instance, should be allowed right. to own a firearm. Oh no, that's a hundred percent right. I'm just saying that's like, that's not even bare minimum. That's like, right? It's misleading. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. Justice reform. based on the year that we've had and all the call, calls call for gun rights. You know, yeah. don't call it criminal justice. I understand where yeah. she's coming from. Yeah. But. No, but yeah. yeah, and she says at the bottom, uh, I, like she says, legally possessing a firearm empowers the African American community as they were not allowed to possess firearms during during slavery and not even after slavery. Um, in yeah. fact, the gun control laws that we presently see have racist origins that adversely impact all Americans who choose to safely exercise their Second Amendment rights. The yep. very strong stance on that. Yep. I, I, I agree with her. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I'm a gun owner myself. Uh, I, 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 I agree with what Jane Lynn Sanchez said at the top or whatever about, hey, we need a bunch more background checks. We need all these new, new regulations and stuff. Uh, but yeah, if black people have been in jail or for arrested for nonviolent stuff, they should be allowed to own a gun too. 
hundred percent. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like the nuance of it. I, it's just, it was, it was misleading. It kind of made me laugh. Yeah. She needs like yeah. more to her criminal justice reform than just that. That's like, to me, like if I'm making a, a criminal justice reform platform, that's part of it, but that's like 15% of what I'm doing. Yeah. And so again, yeah, it is. And this is, is 25% because she's only running on four issues. So that's an interesting issue. It's <laughs> an interesting issue to be running in Congress, but okay. Issue number two is federal judge term limits. Um, so I was like, okay, she, she gave some specificity. She didn't give like an actual like year length or whatever, but she kind of gave some stuff, but that's just like, that's not an issue. I don't know. That, that, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? To me, that's like not a top of mind, but at the same time, Trump just put in more judges than any president in history in, at the federal level. And so, yep. like, maybe giving them term limit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she does. She specifies that, or she she points out that um, many individuals uh, like will appear before the same judge, like mm-hmm. handling whatever whatever convictions um, like over the years. Um, which is like that is a good point, and I do feel like there should be judge term limits. But it is. I actually too. don't believe judges should be. Uh, voted for by the populace at large at all i think if people do vote for it, it needs to be members of the bar association and here's why um typically well, if you, the closer you get to an election year the the harsher a judge will sentence people because yeah. people get scared yeah and then you get people getting you know shitty convictions well and also in not really anything wrong just because it was the wrong time time of year you know <laughs> Which is that's that's absolutely a problem in the system. And also another problem of that is like when you have rural counties or precincts or whatever, they whatever the district, I guess, rather for the judge. Um, and you've yeah, got and especially like since since we are in a system right now where a lot of federal judges are um, appointed by the people like without w- without term limits at all. Um, that's really scary because a lot of people just vote like, you know, all you know one party or they they'll just be like oh that like that one i guess you know and they don't actually know anything about the person yeah um like if they vote at all so like that yeah i i don't know anyone who has like put in like a bunch of you know research to make sure that they vote for all the right judges yeah exactly and yeah like when when I was doing research about the judges to put their their info on our website um, in November, they don't even post like anything about what they're about. Yeah, and a lot of times they, they're running unopposed. They're like, "I'm running," and that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we had <laughs> so it's know. just it's a terrible system like to be voted on by general populace yeah indeed. well also i th- I, th- I want to be uh make the distinction so for we, we what we were voting on were judges for the state of texas and her thing oh, oh her, right her Sorry. Posi- no that's it's fine no because you're absolutely right and we do need to make our listeners aware of those issues um but her position is about federal judge term limits and i wish amber was here because i know she knows more way more about this but i believe those are appointed by the president uh and and uh, like uh, approved through the senate i think they're like you know, they kind of have a Senate hearing. I, I could be wrong, but I think they're the president See, I them think, and then the Senate. Like, I think you're them. mostly right, but I think there still are some judges seats that are at the federal level that are still elected. I'll have to double check. Okay. But it's it's kind of yeah. weird because the way the way it works is some judges can be appointed by the president, 
some by Supreme Court, and then like I think there's a certain number by some other process. It's really wonky. Probably, like I mean, it's been yeah. wonky for a long time. Visit if it's a district judge or a circuit judge and an appellate yep. judge. Um, so yeah, so all that. So that that's something that she's about, and probably rightfully so. That's something we need to educate ourselves more about. But so uh, she got two yeah. more two more issues. Uh, number three is the economy. Uh, and she talks about District 6, you know, struggling with the winter storm and the pandemic and that those have been causing economic problems. So uh, she that that's kind of an issue that's important to her. And then issue number four is cannabis. Which I was like, sweet, why didn't we? She's the only one to have mentioned it. Yeah, nobody brought it up. Uh, she says uh, District 6 needs a piece of the billion dollar industry that has left un- underrepresented groups imprisoned. 100%. Right here in Texas, the Compassionate Use Program has quietly been operating since 2015 without the representation of un- underrepresented groups. Diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, DEIB, is the key to ad- address these disparities in representation. And I plan on introducing legislation that will not only benefit Black-owned DEIB companies to assist in the implementation and continued rollout of the program in District 6, but work on legislation to benefit all Americans by providing safe, legalization of cannabis that simultaneously addresses those incarcerated with marijuana offenses. Love it. So there have been issues, you know, a lot of other states have some form of legal or decriminalized marijuana. It's actually like 38 states, if not more by now. I think this past year there's even more um, that have some way, shape or form. And so she, there have been problems in some of those, like especially with Colorado. Uh, there were certain, some issues with uh, racial dis- disparities, right? where it's essentially white people that are getting the money, that are getting the business loans to open these dispensaries, uh, and African-Americans, mm-hmm. not so much. And so this is, she's taking all of those like mistakes made in other parts of the country into account, and she's like saying, hey, when we implement it uh, you know, in Texas or, or nationwide, we're going to do it right by, by using diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging practices. Uh, so that's pretty based. I, I dig it, and we, we they should... This is the only way we're going to get free weed into te- free weed. This is the only way we're going to get legal weed in Texas, because uh, it's not yeah. going to happen through our state legislature. But if they do it at the federal level, if Congress passes it and then it passes the Senate and Biden signs it, then we get it. So, yeah, that's a man. This is a this is kind of hard to pick, man. Some of these candidates, <laughs> you know, some of these are pretty good. Some of them are, you know, some of them are not so much, but this is, this is interesting. This is very interesting. This is more interesting than I yeah. thought, it, thought it was going to be actually. Are we voting on them uh, on May, May 1st? I believe it's May 1st. I think it's the same election. Okay. Isn't All that right, right, Thomas? I'm interested in seeing what else comes out about them this month. Yeah. So that's it, guys. Thank you for listening to us. And the... Yeah, I guess next episode. So we'll be back in two weeks. We will give our endorsements yeah. to who who we support for for these local elections and provide any more information that we need from you guys. Also, I guess if anybody else writes us back, we'll, we'll cover that as well. But, I like uh, it. Sweet. Early voting starts, I believe, this coming weekend. April nineteenth. Right? Okay. Early next, voting next is Monday, April nineteenth through the twenty seventh. It ends on the twenty seventh, and then we got a couple of days of no voting, and then the elections on May first. Nice. So you can early vote if you know who you want already. We'll endorse people on the 25th. There you go. And again, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off. No, that's okay. I was just going to say. And then uh, very soon, May's coming up. Yep. Oh boy. Yep, time's flying. We're already, you know, already 10, 11 days into April. 
crazy. Yep. But yeah. we will provide the information for the mayoral candidates that we did on the previous episode that you can listen to. That uh, spreadsheet is in the show notes as well. Also, the city council people that we talked about and covered on that previous episode. That link will also be provided as well down below in the doodly doo. Thank you very much for listening to us, and you guys have a fantastic day. Bye. Bye.